Science. Hello and welcome to Probably Science. My name's Andy Wood. I'm Matt Kirshen. How are things? Not too bad, Andy. How are you doing? Have, doing... You, been, have you been on the inversion table? Uh, gravity? Have you been hanging? I was in Portland for four days, so I was doing the opposite of an inversion table as far as what's good for your body. I was you were solely... walking around with heavy weights on your back. You yeah. were... You're yeah. a hod carrier for a building site. <laughs> yeah. And I mean, every time I go to Portland, I'm like, how, how did I ever manage to get anything done when I lived here full time? It's just, it's, it's like an adult playground. You can't, uh, I don't know. I can't not be constantly eating and drinking when I'm there. But that, that could also be Were you be doing that when you lived there? Failing. Or was that, more, was that more like now when you visit? It's I think I appreciate the, the quality of, of things to eat and drink now that I'm gone more than I did when I lived there. So that's part of the, part of the thing is just making up for lost time and seeing old friends who you're going to drink with, obviously. And, uh, and I was also shooting something for a friend that was food related. So we got all these free tastings of, of high-end restaurants and stuff. So I'm not going to say no to that. What, what did you eat? What was the best thing you ate? Uh, the lamb shank at Tusk on Burnside was pretty amazing. Um, there are lots of great... There's a Russian place called Kachka that was good. Um, where else hadn't I been before? Cointrell on Mississippi. There's some free plugs for some Portland restaurants that are not giving us money. Get to them. Yep. Get to them. We got a guest. We do. I, I, I don't know how we haven't had him on yet. I don't know how this hasn't happened. Yeah. We've fixed it now. It's the very funny Dave Waite. Hey, Dave. Hey, guys. I, I usually ask to be on podcasts. This is a first for me to be asked <laughs> to be on yours. I, also, I, I think I never, it never occurred to me to ask to be on it. That's why I never asked. Yeah, it's... Because uh... I was like, science... <laughs> right, it's. It, it, I can see how that's a turn off. And that's the alternate uh, title for our show. Science, science. <laughs> 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 uh, <laughs> I just, I just got back from the road. I was doing uh, shows with Shane Moss, the stand-up science show. He's got. Oh yeah, yeah. We've mentioned that on, on here many times. Yeah, if Shane was last on the show, plugging that tour. Yeah, yeah. So I did like the last leg with him, like fifteen dates. So I got to learn. I was learning stuff every night. Who were the Who were the scientists that you had on there? Do you remember what, what they did or what they were talking about? Forgot it all. <laughs> all right, cool. <laughs> no, no. There was there was a lot of uh, evolutionary biologists on there. Yeah. That's Shane's jam. And then there was like a lot of psychologists. The psychologist ones usually were pretty big hits with the audience because people were like they kind of got it and like primatologist he had a couple of those on yeah, people like everyone loves a monkey yeah uh so i think still one of our most popular episodes was the bonobo one yeah that was the live one we did yep yep did you have a bonobo here no uh, we did not cutest. even even just discussions of and photos of bonobos you didn't even need a live bonobo and it's an audio podcast too people yeah. still want to See, that was, hear us talking about pictures that they're not seeing. Was, uh, Dr. Amy Parrish. Mm-hmm. And also Tim Minchin. That didn't do any harm. That That's definitely probably a big part bumped of up some of those numbers. Bigger episode for us. Yeah. Yeah. So, I, yeah. Bonobos was probably the first time I ever heard of the, that type of monkey ape. The, uh, the clothes company you saying? Or the, the word bonobos even entered in my mind because of this tour. Because there was like, oh, okay. so, yeah, yeah. I was like, oh, that's okay. And then they showed a picture of it. You never heard of the, the clothing, the, originally the pants company that became like a bigger clothing brand called Bonobos? I mean, I remember that. 
But then you don't know that that's a word that's come from nature and not just some syllables that that someone's put together. I know the guy who started the company, and I know it was just a dumb joke because he knows that there are these monkeys or apes who masturbate a lot. You know, it's a guy I went to high school with, Brian Spaley, who started it. And um, yeah, it was just a juvenile. these are the jagoff monkeys. <laughs> Man, that was an interesting name drop. I didn't think I would hear. Yeah, you know, you know, a, a guy that's a pants magnet. He left. I think he's not involved anymore. But like, yeah, I think he was uh, involved in finance. But he just couldn't find pants that fit. So he started making them out of the ba- and selling them out of the back of his van or something. Like, there's some weird story behind it. But um, what shape is he? I think he was. Uh, he was training and doing a lot of like, triathlons and stuff. And maybe he had like a more muscular lower body. And he was like, they were railing against the thing he called khaki diaper, butt, which is, uh, you know, when shitty, shittily fitting khakis give you like a sag diaper, butt looking, butt. <laughs> so he wanted you know, grown up pants that, that fit well. So why am I plugging things that aren't giving us money? <laughs> this is so stupid. Well, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like the Science. I'm like the Keith Richardson podcast guest. I just make some noise and then all right. <laughs> have you seen the dirt on that Netflix yet? Yeah, I saw that. The Motley Crue movie. Oh, I have not watched it. I don't I don't I'm really generally not a fan of biopics about people who are still alive and with things that within living memory. I wasn't gonna watch it, but a friend of the show, Riley Newton, said it's a really fun um not hate watch exactly, but like, you know, so bad it's good kind of thing like it's just ridiculous it's really dumb but fun i thought it was a documentary at first and then i saw yeah, a trailer and then realized it's actors which is i guess probably better i don't want to see what mcmars looks like now scary so, yeah. well, I mean, that's always scary but scarier so dave aside from the tour uh, aside from hanging out with evolutionary biologists and bonobo experts what if anything is your science background uh limited <laughs> I went to college. I have a degree in geography. Okay. All right. We've got in trouble before for maligning geographers. I've made fun of that as a science, but... I've had I, I more don't. than one geographer write in and take us to task. Man, why, why the geography hate? I just... I, I, did a cop, I did a set one time and uh, got heckled by somebody because I said up instead of down for driving south. And I was like, well, actually, up and down, unrelated to south and north, we just kind of like decided we called north up and she's like nope i know i know i know this i'm a geography teacher i'm like what the fuck you should know more than anybody that those are unrelated things that are and then i also was like what, what? and that was when andy's vendetta against yeah. all geographers mm-hmm. started oh man should i leave <laughs> yeah get the fuck out i mean like in the reality you know this is like i think if you try to like explain it'll blow people's mind that like you know, like people like north and south and east and west and you're like you're like, yeah, but we just made, yeah, we just made all of it up. If even if, like, if southern, if southern hemisphere countries had conquered the world, the globe would be oriented upside down. Oh yeah, like, mm-hmm. totally. That's, and people and be like, what? <laughs> days of the week as well. While we're at it, oh, j- nothing Rome, special. Or, There's nothing special about a Wednesday. Oh right, the fact that we picked seven of them, or just that the names are Roman gods, Both. or none of it, or all of it. So it's arbitrary. There's no reason yeah. why a week should be seven days. There's no every other. All the other main delineations of time are at least I mean, vaguely connected to things months in... aren't even that close to what the moon does, though. No, but that's what the idea is, at least. Yeah. They're at least meant to be tenuously linked to the lunar cycle. Yeah. And the year is a solar cycle or a solar yeah, rotation and a day, and day is a... are real things, yeah. But, I mean, if you, could, if, you, if you just got a clean slate right now, how would you divide up 365 and a quarter into meaningful units 
that we would then mark off on a thing you know what would you do with it do like a day on and a day off <laughs> just come up with a, one, a name for each on day and off day okay maybe if you have more work to do maybe there's like on day middle day nearly day off day but okay now you've got now you're dividing 365 and a quarter and into four and off day yeah but so I, don't you want something that's at least close to dividing up the year evenly and like it's not uh th- th- that then you're gonna have a, a day and a quarter that don't line up right with that. If you're, if you're planning it out, like make it good from the start, you know, make it as close to dividing up the year, make it, you know, units of five. So it's all, only off by that quarter day or units of, that's probably the best you can do is five. Yep. I just double checked. 365 has two prime factors, five and 73. So yeah, you got a 73 day month. And you have- <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, five, five day, a uh, five, if you have a five-day week, that does work exactly. I mean, not exactly. Three days, well, quarter, but yeah. three days on, two days off. Yeah. <laughs> what if you had like... It's a, a solid week. What if we went to like a calendar where we went to like dog years for people? Then we feel like we really lived a long, a much longer time. Just call every year seven years? No. Well, just like have more years in a year. <laughs> but the year's a real thing. It's us going around the sun. Like you can't... You know, yeah. The seasons happen. That's not a thing that man imposed on it we could just have at each season is yeah. a year okay. yeah four, look at you year, year shill for big year <laughs> i uh i'm a he's fan the, of years he's in the pocket of the season people <laughs> the season people they just keep trying to force them down our throats plugging seasons even though they're not paying us anything i either. know right bonobos and seasons and Quintrell and all these things that just the, this guy's just a fountain of plugs over here. <laughs> so, what did you when you did geography at college? Was that like physical geography or political geography? Like well, what? it was just like a real grab bag of whatever classes I could take. You know, it yeah. was, I, I I had changed my major a couple of times, and then I opened up the book and I saw that geography was the fewest credit hours out the door. Okay, and I already had two cre- two geography classes. From like you know the general studies part of my studies. So you're like, like, okay, I'm already a little bit of the way there, and it's not so much left to go. Yeah, and I didn't want to be in college for like six years or even like five, so I got out of college for like four and a half years. It's maybe not the best way to plan one's life, but <laughs> but I the thing I I liked about geography is it's like a combination of sociology and history and anth- it's all like. Besides, like, because cartography is like a subset of geography. That's like the making of maps, which isn't really my jam. I mm-hmm. uh, but I liked, I liked like urban geography and like why people live in certain places and just like you know. I thought you, that would be considered like sociology. That's that's geography. Yeah, because yeah, because anything under the p- place. Okay. Yeah, geography. It's it's a weird subject geography because it does kind of encompass that sort of almost sociology and anthropology parts of stuff. And then also it's like, and this is how a river happened. Right. Which well, I, I thought was geology until some other listener wrote in to say that falls under geography also. But, but you know, like, like something like a geography of a city, you know, you would be looking at the sociology and the history. Like, why do certain people live in this part of town and this, you know, and then you would look at it on a map and whatever. Right. It's yeah. been a long time, but I, know, I can see how I can see how these things are interesting. I just thought they were categorized as different things. I, I, that's why I was at a loss when this teacher yelled her job at me. I'm like, wait, but you aren't you essentially like a walking globe? Like that's. I had one class. It was just all about 
Interstate 80 that runs all the way across America. Yeah. But like a, a little bit north, I guess yeah, it is. Yeah, goes ends. through San Francisco. And, and then New York, I think maybe it starts. Uh, uh, 90 gets to New York. Maybe 80 does also because they do kind of come Maybe Boston together. or something. I don't know. Yeah, it, yeah. it goes all the way across the country. And so that was like the whole class is we just studied that road and like yeah. what's along it. Like the professor went on like some trip and went on that. So she just did that as like a vacation one time yeah. and then she was like I'm gonna teach a class about this that's what I drove yeah and I moved up to San Francisco I drove from Boston to San Francisco mostly on 80 maybe that does go to Boston where does it end up I-80 Terminus I think I-80 has that the world's largest like truck stop or something like that that's like a whole is seat. that like you're not talking about wall drug or something no that's like way off the interstate yeah. Oh, no, I'm sorry. Boston is north of... What am I thinking? Yeah. Why did I picture Boston being south of New York? Jesus. Yeah, 80, 80 um, merges with 90 when it cuts across um, the Indiana-Michigan border. And then, yeah, it ends in New York. Uh, goes, let's see, it goes southern tip of Lake Huron and Lake Michigan. Or I guess it's Lake Erie there. You cut across Illinois, Iowa. So what did you find out about the, the this road across America? Ah, shit. I'm asking you to remember stuff from a co- like if you asked me to try remember anything from my degree 20 years ago I'd be in a lot of trouble so I'm I sorry re- to drop that on you I remember the class I remember uh, the big assignment for the class was to find a road in in the region and kind of write a report about that road like yeah. drive drive like uh, like a great distance of it and take pictures and and kind of you know just kind of report back on what you see where where did you go to school again I went to school in Northern Kentucky University, which is like in the suburbs of Cincinnati. And they wanted you to go someplace drivable from there and go report on it? Yeah. Like, And do you, do you remember where you went? I just went down this road that I used to go down in high school where we'd go down and smoke weed on. <laughs> it was like, people, people be like, hey, you got to go down the route? That's what they called it. And then you, it was this crazy, windy road. It's a bad idea. It's like already a dangerous road if you're sober, right? But the, instead, everybody's like, "Let's pile four or five of us in a car and get real blazed, and then take this fucking windy road, so we can go and do geography." Well, that was not the geography, but that was like, <laughs> but I, I that road it had a personal resonance with me because everybody's like, "We're going down the route," you yeah, know, yeah. And you're like, oh. Or then people would come back from the route and their eyes would be like, yeah, your eyes be all red. i go, you guys go down the route? The route. <laughs> you guys got, got real high? And then people would pull off the side because there was a lot of woods and they'd smoke weed. And they'd be like, I heard a, heard a noise, you know, and freak themselves out or some horseshit. <laughs> a noise in the woods? So whatever next? Well, when you're like a teenager and yeah. you're baked, it's yeah. pretty fucking, <laughs> it's pretty mind-blowing. Yeah. <laughs> That's... It's either a axe murderer or a rabbit. One of those two things. <laughs> I'm trying to find this map someone made. I guess there's a bunch of them now, but um, if the U.S. interstate system was a subway system, just like reducing everything to just the places all those highways connect, you know? Yeah. It's pretty cool looking, but there's a couple different ones, and I don't know which one was the definitive. Well, America also has that thing where something that is just a normal street in the middle of the city, you then find out goes... 700 miles east of there right like how el camino real here in california um is is sometimes the 101 sometimes the pch and sometimes just a road through 
Right. At the Bay Area called El Camino Real. And, yeah. Yeah, like Route 66. And... Which, yeah, is that still around? It just <clears throat> exists in parts in cities or what? Yeah, I mean, like, if you drive, I, is it Interstate 40? I think it's 40. Is that what replaced Route 66? Yeah, because there's like parts where you're like, there'll be like signs like, get off a drive like on historic Route 66. And then you'll drive through these towns and there's like a bunch of these motels and all everything looks like it's from the 60s. Right. You know, and then the interstate came through. It's and the it's plot like, of cars, basically. Yeah. Uh, but there's like chunks of it you can drive down, you know. Yeah. Well, yeah, we we'll covered it. Someday. <laughs> covered geography. Um, actually, so, <laughs> I already forgot where this was going to transition, but there was something you brought up that did lead into one of the stories we're going to talk about this week. Is it the black hole? I mean, sure, why not? The let's, science let's, roads. Say it's that. <laughs> Surprisingly enough, a fair few people sent us this, what with it yeah. being front page headlines and the Google Doodle for that day and yeah. all sorts of other stuff. So they never had a picture of Black Hole before? Well, I mean... They just were like, they're out there. Well, it doesn't let off light. I mean, nothing gets out of it, even light. That's how strong the gravity is. So that makes sense. So what would a picture of it even look like? Which is what I still don't totally understand about this picture. Well, my understanding <laughs> is it is... Firstly, it's not a photograph. Right, it's, right. It is a recreation. It's an algorithmic recreation of a map of the radiation that has bent around the black hole as witnessed by an array of different telescopes on Earth. Science geography. Yeah. Space geography. It's all geography when you think about it, really. <laughs> yeah. but, so, does that mean it, that this was obscuring some other light-emitting body behind it? And that's yeah, what's, Let me just double-check to make it, sure this is... Or is it, are we seeing Hawking radiation coming out of this or something? Uh, no, I think this is the... Um, here we go. Let's look at the, the National Geographic story. Um, so oh, this is go to National Geographic, <laughs> huh? Convenient. So, by the way, it's fifty million light years away. It's in the heart of a giant elliptical galaxy called Messier eighty-seven, and it is a gargantuan beast which is devouring everything that strays too near. It's a black hole, stars, planets, gas, and dust. Not even light escapes. Today, scientists unveiled an image of that object, a supermassive black hole containing the same mass as six point five billion suns. Mm, okay. Uh, but- Remember in Interstellar when Matthew McConaughey got ate by the black hole and then he was like in the ladies' bookcase? <laughs> He's like, all right, <laughs> I'm in this bookcase. <laughs> that part was so crazy. It was so dumb. It was so, like, that's not what, multidimensional doesn't just mean multiple copies of a room. <laughs> well, that, no, but that is, it says in this article, that is what happens. Oh, okay. <laughs> I think because it's so far away. Because it's 50 million light years away, you can't see the specific books or anything, but you can see the glow. <laughs> okay. If I was going to send anybody into a black hole and they'd make it, Matthew McConaughey might be my guy. He'd probably do it. Probably He'd be like, I'll get in there. I'll see what's happening. I'll be fine. <laughs> I'll be fine. <laughs> if he could survive Beach Bum, he could survive a, a black hole. <laughs> Isn't that supposed to be like the lowest grossing movie? It's been released in forever. Yeah. I don't know why they did that. Like, you know, just put it. There must have been some deal where they had to put it in theaters or something like that. I don't know. Yeah. My dad went and saw it three times. (laughs) (laughs) I I assume he liked it? Well, he's got the AMC movie pass where you you can see three movies a week. And he was like, I've seen everything else. And then I was just trying to figure out Beach Bum. Like, he's trying to get to the bottom of it. Oh, okay. Yeah, it's weird. It's like Harmony Korine, right? Yeah, yeah. That guy makes weird ass 
Yeah. Okay, black holes, though. I didn't mean to... All right, I'm jumping around this article because it's quite a long one. So it was made by the um, the Event Horizon Telescope Project, which is a global collaboration of more than 200 scientists using an array of observatories scattered around the world, from Hawaii to the South Pole. Combined, this array acts like a telescope the size of Earth and was able to collect more than a petabyte of data while staring at M87's black hole in April. Is that a million gigs? Which, well... Gigabyte, terabyte, petabyte? I think it's the next one after Terra. Oh, shit. Oh, which means a million times more than a gigabyte. Okay. It's a lot. It's a lot of data anyway. So, before that, humans could only see indirect evidence that black holes even existed by looking for stars that seemed to orbit bizarre objects, by capturing radiation from the superheated matter swirling into them, or by seeing the extremely energetic jets of particles launched from their tumultuous environments. Um... Recently, for example, astronomers caught their first glimpse of what seems to be a star becoming a black hole. But, uh, I've been studying black holes for so long that sometimes it's easy to forget none of us has ever seen one, says Franz Cordova, who's the National Science Foundation director. Uh, and then Shep Dolman, who's the... I think I might have done something with Shep once. I think I might have done Star Talk with Shep uh-huh. Dolman, maybe. Uh, said, we are delighted to be able to report to you today that we have seen what we thought was unseeable, what you're seeing is evidence of an event horizon. We now have visual evidence of a black hole. So six different lab papers published describe the observational total force, the process of achieving it, and the details that the image reveals. One of the chief takeaways is a more direct calculation of the black hole's mass, which tracks closely with estimates derived from the motion of orbiting stars, and also offers some hints about how some supermassive black holes managed to unleash gargantuan jets of particles traveling at near light speed. Dolman adds, it's truly remarkable. It's almost humbling in a certain way. Nature has conspired to let us see something we thought was invisible. Conspired is applying some agency to nature that I don't know if I would... uh... Yeah, Yeah, and like whispering. Yeah. Hey, we're going to keep this from the humans. They're they're (laughs) sniffing around again. (laughs) It's the deep state. The dark state. Uh, So they set out originally to snag an image of the supermassive black hole at the center of our galaxy, the Milky Way, called... You want to see if you can remember the name of the our black hole? Jeez. Uh, um, no idea. Am I going to kick myself once you say it? No, nope, probably not. It's Sagittarius A star. Okay. Uh, I was right in there. I knew <laughs> it was behind the bookcase. <laughs> yeah. Lock that one away for trivia. Sagittarius A star okay. is the black hole at the center of our galaxy. So there's a black hole in our galaxy? There is. And for a long time... It's it. It was thought to be the case. It's thought that a large number of I don't know whether it's thought that all galaxies, but certainly it's thought that a large number of galaxies have black holes in the middle of them, sort of anchoring them. So every, all the stars are orbiting around the black hole, kind of the same way that planets orbit around stars. Um, but I think f- it was still there was some debate: is there or isn't there? But more recently, they found very good evidence that it must exist just from okay. the motion around it. Um, is a black hole going to eat us? Is that what you're telling us? I mean, I think of an inevitable eventually, right? Uh, I don't know. Does does ever as it as it gets more as it absorbs more and more matter? But then again, black holes also evaporate after, over yeah, time, as we okay. found from the Jan Eleven episode. She was explaining it to us. Well, we're going to fall into the sun someday, right? Or is the sun going to burn out before that? I think the or? sun burns out before that, but oh. it'll it'll absorb us as it grows, as it expands, as it starts to burn out. Okay, it'll swallow us up. I mean, here's the thing that we'll be super dead by the time oh. we're done. Oh, we will be. The chance of anything. 
I don't know whether all life would have gone extinct on Earth, but certainly anything even vaguely re- recognizable yeah. as human life would have gone. There may well be... There may have been multiple cycles of intelligent life being born and then dying out and then being born again on Earth by that who, point. Who knows? Pro- almost certainly, I would have the, thought, because that's still millions of years we're talking about. Oh, you think that life will go away entirely and then no, spontaneously I start I, No, I don't think... I think there will be some... That would be hard to happen. I think there'll be residuals of... I think intelligent life will die out or has a good chance of dying out. Certainly... Before all life dies out. Intelligence yeah. at our level of yeah. life. I think there'll be nuclear war or something will f- just ruin it. You think that's Humans likely, or whatever humans become will go. Most likely? I don't know. As far as catastrophic... I don't know. Who knows? It could be any ending. number of I things. I'm just asking what you're, if you have a hunch about what the, what is going to end civilization. What animal you think is going to rise up and be intelligent? Oh, man. Yeah, who's next after us? Could, could be an army of skeletons. <laughs> I hope I'm hoping that uh, dolphins become bipedal, get yep. on land and start uh, squeaking, or get wheels or something. Yeah, oh, that'd be adorable. <laughs> yeah, what animal do you reckon will get smart enough to take us over? The crow. Crows are pretty smart. Who is yeah, closest to us? Not just intelligence wise, but like ability wise. Maybe maybe raccoons, just because of the opposable thumbs. Boy, that'd be creepy. <laughs> Society of raccoons. I mean, they already they know how to eat garbage. They're already yeah. Maybe they like get into they like join forces with some of the smarter dogs or something. <laughs> I'll start riding them yeah. into battle. Oh, <laughs> raccoon on the back of a Great Dane, <laughs> amazing. Is that raccoon made a saddle? Yeah, that would kill a lot of white girls. They'd be like, "That looks so cute." <laughs> <laughs> take a photo. Take a photo. <laughs> He's coming right for us. Quick! He's coming for us quickly. Quick! Get the photo! Quick! <laughs> so, so black our, our black hole, <laughs> our black hole is pretty small compared to this one, to M eighty seven. Our black hole, Sagittarius A star, is the mass of just a measly four million suns. Is the A for awesome? Is well, it like a star, yeah. A period star, like it's the middle initial. Uh, I think it's it's an asterisk, and afterwards it's like. Oh, and then okay. you read the bottom and it just goes, Ey. I thought it was, I was hoping it was like, I'm a black hole here. <laughs> I was hoping it's like Alfred E. Newman or something. <laughs> uh, so yeah, holy shit. So 6.5 billion suns yeah, is yeah. this one, as opposed to just 4 million. A measly 4 million. So this is substantially bigger. This is um, more than a thousand times more massive. Uh, because, M- well, I, I think bigger is probably the wrong word, because I don't know whether... They even does a black hole have a size? I don't know. Yeah, what, I think that, that you can measure the diameter the of the event horizon to the event horizon. I think. But then is the would you count the event horizon as the size of the black hole, or is the event horizon just because we talked about this in another podcast? Because I thought there was also some we talked uh, about it with with Jana because size in the middle because because the event horizon itself is the point at which once you get beyond it nothing can escape like light that is inside the event the radius of the event horizon even light will fall into the black hole and become more part of its matter Mm -hmm. but if you were to look at it from a distance it's just an arbitrary point in space it's just uh it's just a point there's nothing there there's nothing at the event horizon it's just a boundary where on the right hand side of it you could if you're moving fast enough escape and fly off back into the universe and if you're um but if you're on the left hand side of it you're going to topple into the black hole right but i think we asked her on that same podcast or i asked about where how far 
inside the event horizon until you actually get to because I pictured because, matter the matter that is the black hole there, because it's so much matter that it does all this through gravity. I thought there was still also an actual um, spatial element that, that it took up some space. Like there was a super dense thing that is in the middle, but there's no thing there. I mean, there's no there's matter obviously because that's what's right created. but there's no actual thing taking up space you're not gonna like get sucked to the middle and then hit this like softball size thing of infinite de- density there's just nothing like there's no thing to hit or there's no so either you measure the event horizon or nothing at all because nothing right. else to measure about it which is why think. again saying bigger like massive is more of a sensible way to describe right. it but, I, but i'm guessing the more massive the also the wider the radius to the event horizon i is. guess so yeah and it says because m87 is one of the nearest and biggest black holes that's where the team decided to look uh, eventually hoping to compare the two of them, the M87 to our black hole. Uh, seeing it's the heart of the galaxy, of our galaxy, turned out to be a bit more complicated because... Uh, well, it doesn't say why. I guess maybe there's too much stuff in the way and we're too close. And then staring down the barrel of the black hole in the next galaxy cluster over, which is why M87's portrait is the first. Rather than being a single sh- snapshot, it's the product of a process called interferom- interferometry. Which combines That's how Lego works too, right? Oh, Lego, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Legos. I thought you said That's how Lego. Legos work, yeah. <laughs> I thought you uh, thought there was a joke there, Andy. Oh no, no, no. I don't know what you were saying. Uh, um, it combines observations from multiple telescopes into one image. When separate dishes simultaneously observe the same target, scientists can collate the observations and see an object that see in quotes as though they're using one giant dish that spans the distance between those telescopes. To resolve the supermassive black holes, which are tiny compared to their surrounding galaxies, the consortium needed to harness the power of radio telescopes all over the planet. There's a map here in this article. This is a this is the network of all the different telescopes. There's one on the South Pole. There's one in Mexico. There's one in Hawaii. There's one across in Europe and Spain. There's one in Chile. And they're all high-powered, massive things. But together, they form a substantially bigger thing. Oh, like a transformer. Exactly. Of, yeah. Of- radio telescopes. Oh, by the way, it's in the middle of the Vogo cluster, in case there are any astrologers in there wondering. Okay. Oh, some Vogo hand, fan, hand, whatever. You know what I was trying to say. <laughs> I was trying to say that there was like a collection of people that were really into that sure. w- word you said. <laughs> I think it was Virgo you said, right? Yeah. Just with an accent. Yeah. Oh, Virgo. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah. There's a lot of Virgos out there. It's about a 12th of the population. <laughs> Give or take. We chose a very long rendition of this story. We did. We, yeah. Put off a little more than we could chew at this, I think. I'm honestly, I'm trying to see anywhere in this article exactly what it is that we're actually looking at. Right. That was kind of the thing. Yeah. That's what the listeners come here for, I think. I'm going <laughs> to... I just like watching Matt scroll. That's pretty tight. Yeah. Scroll here cast. Here's a little timeline. Here's a little timeline of this thing. In M87... So, in 1781, astronomer Charles Messier discovered a bright spot in the constellation Virgo, now known as Messier 87, or M87, which is a galaxy 55 million light years away that contains several trillion stars. A very compact source of radio waves lies at the galaxy heart, a supermassive black hole estimated to weigh some 6.5 billion suns. According to Einstein's equations, at the center of a black hole, the star's entire mass has collapsed into an infinitely dense, dimensionless point called a singularity. There we go. That's what we were saying about... That's what Andy was saying about there being no specific... Dimension. Exactly. Singularities likely don't really exist, but point to a mathematical hole in our understanding of gravity. 
extending at least 7 billion miles around the black hole is the event horizon. That's the boundary beyond which not even light can escape. Uh, black holes spin can twist space, speeding or slowing matter orbiting nearby. The static limit is the orbit where objects traveling at light speed against the black hole spin seem to stand still. And then there's the accretion disk, which is a whirling disk of superheated gas and dust, likely, which likely spins at near light speed around the black hole. Uh, the disk emits heat, radio noise, and huge X-ray flares, some of which stretch more than 100,000 light years long. And then there's X-ray jets. For more than a century, astronomers have spotted a straight ray jutting from M87. The towering jet forms a superheated gas swirling around the central black hole, gets shot out along intense magnetic field lines. As electrons spiral along these lines, they generate radiation of across many wavelengths from radio to X-rays. Far out. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, yeah, what are we actually looking at again? The matter swirling around the black hole that forms a glowing disk? So, here you go. Um, Einstein, according to the article, was skeptical black holes even existed, but solutions to his equations for general relativity, which he published in 1915 predicted that if the extramassive objects populated the universe, they should be spherical, resembling a dark shadow embedded in a ring of light. Oh, so he, he's predicted everything so far, as we yeah. talked about on another recent episode. Although the ring of light is a bit uneven in MA7, making it look like a bulgy donut. Still, that's to be expected. Matter swirling around a black hole forms a glowing disk, and since part of that disk is moving towards us, it causes part of the circle to be a bit brighter. Oh, so it's... It's a, yeah, it's a glowing disc, not a glowing shell. Yep, so. and the whole thing's moving, so part of it should be beamed towards you. That's what they got wrong in Interstellar, says Markov. <laughs> That's the only thing they got wrong. Uh, yeah. Boy, says the bookshelf thing was dead on. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> you ever been on, like, mushrooms and then look up in the stars and you're like, boy... McConaughey's up there right now. <laughs> yeah. But you're just like tripping and then you realize how big the universe is and it fucking freaks you out. <laughs> I mean, even just thinking about the 65 billion suns, like, I, how do you wrap your head? Like, none of us can even, I don't even think most of us can really get an intuitive sense of how big our sun is, let alone 65 billion of those. Because how many millions of Earths can you fit inside of our sun, too, you know? Oh, uh, what? Yeah. The sun is so much bigger than than the Earth. The sun's diameter compared to Earth's diameter. One point five, sorry, one point three million Earths could fit inside it. Yep. But How is many? That, is that because balls don't stack well? Is it like spheres with? Or is that they take? The oh, I don't know. I don't know how they were doing it. How many Earths could fit in the sun? What? Just over a million. A million Earths could fit in the sun. Yeah, about one and a third. Yeah. What the fuck? So yeah, <laughs> the Earth is only about um, wait twenty five eight thousand miles. How many kilometers is that? That should be easy off the top of my head. Like uh, 12 th- or let's say 14,000 kilometers across is the Earth. And the sun is 1.4 million kilometers across. Boy, I feel real insignificant yeah. right now. And then 65 billion <laughs> of those suns, mass-wise, you get this black hole we're looking at. Yeah, really unfathomable. You can't, you can't, you can't picture that. You can't really... You can say the numbers, but I don't think anybody can really picture what that means. Yeah, it's far too big to... I don't know. One, it's hard to even picture what a million is. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I just that was just a Jeopardy question. Is, uh, there were like 33 million seconds in a year. I'm like, oh, we, we do go through... You could count to a million 33 times if you were just keeping a steady pace up for a year, but it seems impossible. You, you know? can 
Count to a million? 33 times in a year if you count once a second and don't sleep. Boy, that would be very tedious. Very tedious. I don't want to brag, but I think I can count more than one number a second. But maybe daytime you do two a second and then you get to sleep at night or something. Yeah. Yeah. But then you're you're only sleeping for a third of the day. It's true. Or less sometimes. Uh, I think I'm getting way less than that right now. I was just reading another article that reiterated what Matt Walker said, which is that all of us are chronically underslept in this world. No one gets the sleep they should be getting. So yes, get your eight hours. Spend the other 16 hours counting at not even double time. How long do you think you could count before you went fucking crazy? I do remember there was a guy who was trying to count to a million writing each number down who called into some radio show I listened to as a kid. And I forgot if he was going to get a Guinness record for that, but it was it was going to take him months or years or something. Like, at the end of that, what do you have? Why? Why? <laughs> I mean, if you're getting in the Just Guinness Book of crazy. Records, though, let's be honest, that is pretty lame. <laughs> <laughs> I think there was a time in my life when that was a, a career goal. I didn't know what Oh, for, yeah, but... the Guinness Book of Records. Well, that was back when books like yeah. that were still hot. Those are, like, those are books that definitely the internet... Just destroy. Destroy those. Like the Farmer's Almanac. Yeah. The Sports Almanac. Supposedly, the point of the Guinness Book of Records, the idea of it originally was to settle pub arguments. Really? Okay. Hence Guinness, the beer company sponsoring it. It is actually that beer company. I thought maybe it was a different Guinness. Nope. nope. It is. Oh, okay. So, that, uh, yeah, the idea of it originally is so that people don't come to blows over... Who is the tallest man and what is the fastest land animal? Let's and, uh, go to the beer book. Yeah. Let's get to the, take this outside. Here's Dad's. your book. <laughs> Look in the book. That's great. Do they have their own website? Like the Guinness? Yeah, I'm sure they do. I'm, they yeah. got to have a website yeah. now, right? Of course. What, what record do you think you could break, Dave? I think I could. Boy, I don't know. Fattest twins on motorcycles? No. You think you could top that? GuinnessWorldRecords.com. Let me throw out some random ones they spotlight here and uh, see if you guys can guess what they are. Oh, if we're trying to guess the numbers, the amounts, or sure, speeds, or whatever. Do, do you guys want to go with animals or people? Or I want to guess the largest oh. pizza was 24 feet. Well, I can't. <laughs> I'm not going to look up pizza. I'm just going to tell you some things and see if you. Uh... <laughs> you could definitely do more than 24 feet. Hang on, wait, are we talking... What do you think... What, what can we see? Uh, I, I'm guessing it's way more than that also, yeah. What, what, can you, what are you looking up? I don't want to get I, it. Well, I'm trying to find one that's good that's number-based. He can look can up. have you guys. Longest tongue on a dog. Oh, that's a, that's what? That's one. Do you reckon that was one you could beat? No, I'm not a dog. Is there any tongue guesses on a dog? Longest tongue? I want to guess, like, probably, like, eight, nine inches. Matt? Not just tongue on a dog. All right, I'm He's trying to think. He's going to do centimeters, I imagine. I can go. I can go at imperial measurements. Uh, that's a good. That's a good guess. I don't think it would be more than nine inches. So I'm going to guess a dollar. Okay, <laughs> Matt would get with prices right rules. Matt would get it, but Dave was very close. Seven point three one inches. Ah, that's a very very logical guess. Not that not that impressive of a record, to be honest. Longest fur on a rabbit. Oh, I, also I, in inches. Uh, Hint: This one's also not very impressive. I don't know. I don't know why. I guess like half an inch. Longest fur on a rabbit? Like the hair? Like grown out? I, I don't know. Uh, two inches? <laughs> you think that's the Guinness record? <laughs> I don't know. 14.37 inches. They're 14 inches? Yeah. It's a record, man. This isn't just an like average I, rabbit. I'm just thinking that's pretty insane. That's like a crazy hairy rabbit. Right, yeah. Yeah, most rabbits, they're, they're not... 
They're not known for being like bushy. That's like a fucking like. That's why it's in the book or on the website. I would like is to see a, a picture of that rabbit and like. There is the a Tom, picture right here. Tom Petty of rabbits. <laughs> you want to see him? I want to see the picture of that damn rabbit. Let me see it. Let me get back to him. Holy fuck. <laughs> I guess we got to post this now. We'll post this over on probablyscience.com. A link to the longest fur on a rabbit. Uh, what do you think <laughs> the longest stand-up pedalboard ride on a river pour by a human dog pair was? Human dog pair? Human dog pair on a stand-up paddleboard on a river. Uh, what's the... How far did they go in meters? You know, I feel like the dog is less of the issue than the human. The dog, <laughs> I feel like, will just chill there. If you can get him to just... Yeah, that's. I guess that's part of the battle is just like get the dog to chill out. And, and... Because I... I went stand-up paddleboarding for the first time in my life last year. Boy, I fell off that thing a lot. And I was with Shane Ma. You know, Shane's like a string bean. He's like, this is real easy. But he's like... <laughs> he's yeah. also a rock climber. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and I'm all like, you know, dad, man. And I'm just like falling off the thing left and right. And then I just climb up on it. And I was like, I'm just going to chill on this. They're fun to just lie on, yeah. Yeah, it was a, the water felt great. I was like, I don't need to stand up. That seems a bit much. <laughs> you lie down paddleboard? I don't know. I guess they probably went like... 50 miles down a river? 50 miles. They went one mile. 1.05 miles. Well, that's it? On a, on, a, on a wave, like surfing. Oh, wave. I thought you just meant like they were just on a stand-up paddleboard. No, no, no. Board. Like riding a, well, they called it a river bore, which I assume is like a wave on a river. Otherwise, yeah, if you're just paddling, I bet you could go forever. Um, okay, by the way, I have an answer for your biggest pizza. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> you, you were a long way off there, Dave. So the largest, the record largest, which was made in Italy in... December 13th, 2012. Do you want to guess? I've got the answer as a square foot, so I've had to do a bit of calculation, assuming it was roughly circular to get a radius Why or diameter. Why square foot and not... Everyone wants diameter or radius. Yeah. Um, you know the... Which one should we guess then? Uh, do, you want, do you want the square footage first? I then just divided by pi and square rooted it, if, so I can give you the radius as well. Oh, he was doing was, math over yeah. there. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I want to guess radius, but you go first, Dave. The radius, huh? Or, or di- let's say diameter. That's more. That's more intuitive. All right, I'll give you. I'll give the. This is assuming it's circular. It probably wasn't circular, but okay. I don't know. Fifty feet. Oh no! I'm gonna say. I'm gonna say four hundred yards across. Okay. Uh, Twelve hundred feet across. <laughs> no, no, you were okay. It's not that crazy. <laughs> oh, oh, oh. Dave was actually closer in that it was. Uh, the area was 13,580 square feet, mm-hmm. which is a hundred, which is 1,261 square meters. Uh, so that's approximately a, a diameter of 131 feet. Okay. Yeah, I went uh, order of magnitude too big. But how are you going to cook? You can't. Is it cooked? Oh, that's a good point. It can't yeah, be cooked. It's, you just lay it out, but is it, it also, also like being it. cooked. No, I guess they must have made a massive pizza. Or oven. else you can't count it if it's not a cooked. massive pizza. Also, like Italian pizza is much different than like American style pizza. Yeah, is this like a Chicago thick crust or yeah. uh, well, like Italian pizza? Here's, is very here's the picture thin. of what it looks like. There you go. That's from when? I thought you said 1912. No, 2012. 2012. Holy shit! <laughs> yeah, they wouldn't have had the. Guinness, they, why would they be making a, a world-beating size pizza in 19? 
I mean, the, how long the Guinness Book of Records has been around for over 150 years? No, it's been around for like, I think it was like the 60s. Is that it? Yeah. Well, now we got to get that answer. God yeah, damn. I don't want to have to. This is just like watch Andy, listen to uh, Matt Andy Google, Google things. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, that's what the podcast has always been. But Started in 1955. 1955. Oh, I would have guessed older than that. Do you think any of your listeners have achieved a Guinness Book of Records? I don't know. That's, that's a good a, question. Yeah, Listeners, you, email yeah. it if you have. You can email probablyscience at gmail.com or tweet us at probablyscience. We want to hear from you. I know those guys in Nashville would do that like the longest stand-up show. Oh yeah, who wants that record? Who wants to be in that audience for that? It just sounds awful. I took part in one of those in Manchester when I was a new oh. comic. We all went up on a bus together. To break just the... Uh... Did you do like a local a, record? To, to no, I think it was the world record for the longest continuous running comedy show. It ran, it ran for something like 24 plus hours. That doesn't seem that hard to pull off. Really. Yeah, I think it's not that, one person. I think the one in Nashville. Actually, it must have been more than 24. It must have been several days. I think the yeah. one in Nashville, like they got it, they they got the record. It was like seven, seven days or something like that. Does, how do they define when the show has stopped or stopped? I mean, does the same audience doesn't have to be there, obviously. No, but there has to course. be a minimum number of people in the audience at all times. Yeah, for it to be considered and a show. And the show, there always has to be someone on stage. But that's not that hard to do if the local scene kind of kicks in and everyone, right. people are doing multiple sets. Yeah, yeah. I did, I mean, having said all that, I did go to an all night, a couple all-night comedy shows in my younger days when uh, Comedy Death Ray, which preceded Comedy Bang Bang, used to do this annual sleepover thing at UCB and it was really fun but yeah it was 8 hours or 10 hours or something but uh, and you know new comics every 10 minutes and like big names and stuff but like if you're just trying to break a record not actually there because you want to see these people it's <laughs> awful uh, speaking of things that could break records measles cases have quadrupled globally yeah. well done um, dumb fucks Good work, everybody. Yeah. Hey, you know, if Jenny McCarthy wasn't so attractive, oh, we man. probably wouldn't have had this problem. <laughs> the number of measles cases reported worldwide in the first three months of 2019 has quadrupled compared to the same time last year, according to the World Health Organization. The UN body said provisional data indicated a clear trend with all regions of the world seeing outbreaks. Yes. Uh, Africa yes. had witnessed the most dramatic rise, up 700%. The agency said actual numbers may be far greater since only one in 10 cases globally are reported. Measles is a highly infectious viral illness that can sometimes lead to serious health complications, including infections of the lungs and brain. Ukraine, Madagascar, and India have been worst affected by the disease, with tens of thousands of reported cases per million people. I didn't know how contagious measles was, but there was a story on the radio just as I was driving in, and someone said, an expert said, if you are unvaccinated against measles Mm -hmm. and you walk through a room where someone who had measles had been within the last two hours, you have a 90% chance of catching it. Holy shit. I didn't know that either. Now, is the, now when you say all those other countries, is anti-vaccine affected those countries as well? Well, or? it doesn't take... So the UN says the disease is entirely preventable with the right vaccines, but global coverage of the first immunization stage has stalled at 85%, which is still short of the 95% needed to prevent outbreaks. So I think it's more about... like. Is it herd immunity? Like when you hit that certain number, right? It doesn't have to be that like everyone's not doing it. If if just a handful aren't, you can... Yeah, because the whole point of herd immunity is once a certain number of people have are covered, are vaccinated, then it's just... It's too hard for the virus to spread around. Like if... 
if most people are unvaccinated, then viruses spread exponentially through a community because right. that one person will bump into 20 people throughout the day. And if nine tenths of those catch it, then that's 18 people. And then those 18 people will each meet another 18 people. And then those, eight, and so it sort of spreads exponentially. But if, um, if enough people have the vaccines, then the average number of people that each person passes it on to is less than one. So the, it shrinks, it, it, it dies out mm-hmm. rather than, and to answer, to answer your question, this isn't all like misinformation. It's a combination of poverty and misinformation. So a lot of those countries, it's just that the poor don't have access to the vaccines and they aren't like, you know, following Jenny McCarthy on Twitter or something. But that would that'd be a real, yeah, yeah. But people here, yeah. I mean, in Italy, they recently banned children from uh, children under six from attending schools unless they had received vaccines for chickenpox, measles, and other illnesses. And there were there's a public health emergency declared in New York. Um, it seems great. Like when I was a kid, that there wasn't a chicken pa- chickenpox vaccine. Mm-hmm. You just got chickenpox. Right, right. So that's like a new one, right? Yeah, relatively, or at least since we were kids. Yeah. And did you, did you know anybody? Because maybe the chickenpox parties were just things I'd heard about. I, I don't think I. I don't know if it was knew. a chickenpox party, but I I got chickenpox as a kid because I was pre-vaccine, and that was definitely a a thing where my mom. Was like, oh, it's good. You've, it's good that you've got it now because that means because it's better to get it now than it is to get it later. Right, which is not. That's not necessarily true because you could get like shingles. shingles later. Yeah. Well, actually, by the way, we got a, a listener write in about this. Hang on, let me find the email. About shingles. Yeah, this is a Christian Clodfelder wrote in to us because we were struggling with this a couple of episodes ago. We were talking about why you were getting what what the advantages of getting a shingles vaccine later on in life when you've already had chicken pox and so on. So Christian says, Hey, Matt and Andy, this has some nice things about the show. Thanks, Christian. In your last episode, you guys were talking about herpes viruses, chicken pox and the like. I'm currently a medical student in Denver and always wondered the difference between the chicken pox vaccine and the shingles vaccine. One of the immunologists at school helped me un- understand it. Varicella zoster virus, uh, VZV, is a herpes virus and is the causative agent of chicken pox and shingles. When someone gets infected with it, it causes chickenpox and then infects and lies dormant in the central nervous system in collections of cell bodies, ganglia. After the immune system clears up the infection um, in peripherally, the virus remains in these neurons and can eventually reactivate in adulthood and cause shingles. What's interesting about shingles is it presents in a dermato- uh, dermatomal distribution meaning it will present as a rash along the entire dermatome, the proportion of the the skin that is innervated by a single nerve, the nerve that the virus happened to infect and lie dormant in. So when you get shingles, basically you sort of, the rash that appears on your skin will sort of run along the nerve that it was hiding in, which is interesting and weird. If someone is given a vaccination against chickenpox, they develop immunological memory to chickenpox and when exposed to it they can fight it off before it ever has the chance to the chance to infect and become dormant in the nervous system thus someone who had the chickenpox vaccine does not need the shingles vaccine because they continue to be exposed to and prevent vzv from entering the neurons all right someone who didn't get the chickenpox vaccine however can get a shingles vaccine which will expose the immune system to the virus again so if and when it gets reactivated and begins to affect the neurons, the immune system can fight it off and prevent a flare-up of shingles. That doesn't really explain why, but, but yeah. 
But interestingly, it says also, interestingly enough, the actual antigen in both vaccines is the same, but the shingles vaccine is much more potent. Hope this helps. So if I got, I never got a vaccine. I got chickenpox. So my body now has... You have this virus lying dormant in your, in your nerves somewhere, probably. But, but then, but if you then get also, the shingles vaccine, it'll stop the shingles from flaring up. Because if shingles tries to flare up, it'll have more ammunition to fight it off. But wouldn't my body have already built up that ammunition just in processing the chickenpox vaccine in the first place? I mean, most people I, I don't. don't I mean, shingles. I nobody. It's not. I, yeah, I don't even know what it looks like. like what's the? Not everybody gets it that had chickenpox. No, no, no. You're just at at risk for it at some point. Yeah. Hoping. Um, my sciatic nerve bullshit doesn't uh, cause that because that would be the entire length of my leg, which has been constantly, simultaneously numb and in pain for a month straight now. It's pretty um, amazing. By the way, earlier on in the show, when you might remember we were really struggling answering a black hole thing, mm-hmm. I sent a couple of texts to friend of the show, Jan Eleven, professor at Columbia mm-hmm. and black hole expert. And I was like, well, what's going on? Is it Hawking radiation? Is it light being bent around or something else? And she went... She replied and said, no, it's not Hawking radiation. That's way too faint. Only gets bright for microscopic black holes. It's light. What we're seeing is light whose path is bent around the final orbit called the last photon orbit. Uh, It's hot material traveling nearly the speed of light, reaching high temperatures and emitting light. And then she also linked to a minute and a half YouTube video from the National Science Foundation that I will put a link to in the Probably Science Excellent. episode notes. Excellent. You can click on that, and it, it's a little animation that also explains it. Nice. Um, if you don't have the show notes handy when you're listening to this, just search on YouTube for National Science Foundation first black hole observed. First observed black hole observed, uh, explained. Nice. It couldn't be clearer. <laughs> there we go. Like I, I even flubbed the the, cli- the clarity of the explanation, but there you go. That, that... I thought you were to say clit, Jesus. <laughs> <laughs> I flubbed the clit. <laughs> That's probably science. <laughs> yeah, it's definitely possibly science. It is. Uh, hey, I thought I read a story. Oh, I didn't go for it. Inter- no, no. What are you going to say? I thought I read a story about the black hole picture. It was some girl in college had something to do with it, right? Yeah. yeah well, there was some a- people like. Go ahead. Oh, well, there were the algorithm. She's, I think, a postgrad student, but she's responsible. The picture that's going around, she's responsible for originally coming up with the algorithm that would combine the different images. You know, we were talking earlier about how it was six different telescopes around the globe that basically combined to make one mega telescope. Mm -hmm. She was the one who came up with the algorithm that would combine those images into the single image. I see. And then a team of various people at various other universities together with her, but like combined to then write the code that would do it. And, and then obviously some dudes on 4chan or something uh, had to. Well, like, yeah, because some, some other guy who was involved in it, who, by the way, has decried all of this stuff. He, he was like his Twitter bow was like, I wrote most of the code that made the black hole image come. So then they're like, this fucking lying woman claiming it's like, fuck, you. it's just horrible misogyny and grimness where yeah. What it is, is she came up with the algorithm, she came up with the idea, and then this other guy wrote most of the code that implemented her algorithm. Yeah, but if and, you came and a, up... And, like, a bunch of other... And she also, the second the story came out and her photo was everywhere, she was also like, like, yeah, I came up with the algorithm. A but, load of people yeah. worked collectively right. to make this thing happen. 
She, and wasn't, she wasn't just out there trying to soak up all the... <laughs> yeah, and, and also she you've said as well, because there was that picture that went round of her face looking kind of giddy at the first picture being resolved. But mm. she was like... and She said, uh, like, the first picture that I produced of a black hole, and she... And someone replied, like, the first picture that anyone had produced. And she's like, actually, no, we ran. There were f- multiple computers running simultaneously, processing different algorithms at the same time, or different versions of the algorithms at the same time. Basically, so that to cover each other and so that no one person had the glory. Oh, okay. Yeah. So she is cool. She did an amazing thing and also was pretty humble about the whole thing. And then horrible people on the internet were horrible. Mm. I didn't realize, I didn't know there was uh, people on the internet just yeah you know i did you know the internet might be a black hole (laughs) (laughs) the black holes on our phones at all you know just sucking us in sucking our attention our energy our money turning everything into a dark matter (laughs) well i want to talk about the original the the probably the best scientists to ever exist in the world, uh, mm-hmm. Mr. Wizard. <laughs> yeah, the Mr. Wizards plural who built Stonehenge. Oh, nice! It's a little DNA study that reveals the origin of the builders. Ooh. The ancestors of the people who built Stonehenge traveled west across the Mediterranean before reaching Britain. A study has shown. Researchers compared DNA extracted from Neolithic human remains found across Britain with that of people alive at the same time in Europe. Neolithic inhabitants appear to have traveled from Anatolia, which is modern Turkey, to Iberia, which I think is modern Spain, isn't it? It doesn't say that. Yeah. Uh, before wind- winding their way north. They reached Britain in about 4000 BC. The migration to Britain was just one part of a general massive expansion of people out of Anatolia in 6000 BC that introduced farming to Europe. Before that, Europe was populated by small traveling groups which hunted animals and gathered wild plants and shellfish. One group of early farmers followed the River Danube up into Central Europe, but another group travelled west across the Mediterranean. DNA reveals that Neolithic Britons were largely descended from groups who took the Mediterranean route, either hugging the coast or hopping from island to island on boats. Some British groups had a minor amount of ancestry from groups that followed the Danube route. This is a facial reconstruction of a White Hawk woman, a 5,600-year-old Neolithic woman from Sussex. Well, she's looks, all right. Looks looking. very much like Princess Leia once she became known as uh, what, General Leia Organa. Yeah, she's got her hair kind of plaited and wrapped around. I don't know. Uh, I don't know how they knew that was her hairstyle. Yeah, right. And a little necklace she's got as well. It's a sort of string piece of string with some kind of stone hoop. So wait, hair, hair doesn't. Does hair preserve for thousands of years? No, no. Because I mean, I bet we've, I bet someone has studied the history of braiding of hair. I bet there's someone who knows about how old braiding is, right? Look, look you look that up I while I sure. carry on with this. So while the researchers analyzed the DNA of early British farmers, they found that they most closely resembled Neolithic people from Iberia, which is modern Spain and Portugal. These Iberian farmers were descended from people who journeyed across the Mediterranean. From Iberia or somewhere close, the Mediterranean farmers travel north through France. They may have entered Britain from the west through Wales or southwest England. Radiocarbon dates suggest that Neolithic people arrived marginally earlier in the west. But we don't know for sure. And in addition to farming, they, they appear to have introduced the tradition of building monuments using large stones known as megaliths, such as Stonehenge in Wiltshire. Wait, have you ever seen... Did you ever visit Stonehenge when no, you went to the no. UK? I've been to the um, two-scale recreation up on the Columbia River, but... Uh, okay. No. 
So it's it's weird because you sort of you you can't get that close to it these days. They don't let you get there except once a year. I think on the solstice after the Griswolds backed up into it. They had well, to, that's the problem. They yeah. knocked over like a domino. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, I so, I still can't believe they let them do that just for a comedy movie. <laughs> that's it's madness, important to get right? that shot. It, it is, it is. Because there was so much money going around in the 80s that they could just do yeah. that. And there's that action movie they're shooting in Paris right now. I can't believe they burned down that cathedral oh. for that. It's like, <laughs> wow. But it's going to be a great shot, obviously. So you, you can't... How close can you get to them? Yeah, I'd say about... I'm so bad at judging distances, but about 50 yards, 100 yards away. So you can't go and, like, touch him and shit? No, you can look from a fence. I mean, if you want to touch Stonehenge, just go to Mary Hill. It's, it's like a recreation of what, what Stonehenge was before it all collapsed. So it's the actual size. It's still intact. You can go touch it all because it was built in um, 1929. You're not going to gum up the <laughs> concrete that much. Uh, yeah, and it's kind of a beautiful area anyway, the- Columbia Gorge. My friend Steve Day posted a thing on Facebook when uh, after just w- during the science, st- uh, sorry, the fire story about how he'd visited Paris as a kid mm-hmm. or as a young or as a young adult uh, back when you could get up into the Belfry. And apparently, there's a wall that's covered in graffiti. And oh, his really? friend, uh, yeah, and his friend wrote like sort of Dave was here, uh, <laughs> uh, and then like 1991, and then thought, no, I'll make it a bit more special, and then added BC. <laughs> <laughs> which is one of those things like great, yeah. the, the more times I think about it's, it the more ways in which it's stupid it's, uh, reveal yes, itself Just, right. there's so many there's so many different levels on mm. which that is dumb <laughs> <laughs> that's awesome now like in England does everybody go to stone like Everybody go to see Stonehenge? No, I didn't see it until adulthood. I didn't, really? The first time I saw Stonehenge was the first time, or actually the second time, because the first time I got the train. The second time I went to Glastonbury for the Glastonbury Festival. And the drive there, depending on which route you take, but the main drive there goes on a road that goes past Stonehenge. And that's the thing, you sort of go over a hill, you sort of turn around a corner and then go over a hill and then just suddenly it's there on the right-hand side, just off the road. And the first thing you think is like, oh, it's smaller than I thought. Yeah. <laughs> it's sort of this weird little thing. But that's also because of how not close to it you can be. Right. But, uh, you know, huh. Is, oh, there like a we- is there like a welcome center with like knickknacks and all that stuff? There's really very little there. It's surprising how little it is. It's just off the roadside. Suddenly there's a Stonehenge there. And I mean, when you say you can't go up to it, it's just, there isn't literally a structure, but there are people keeping you from doing it, or there is a fence. No, there's a fence that goes around the outside. It's not like a, you know, it's not the most oppressive. You can see over the fence, and you could climb over the fence, but if you do, there's security guards who will then find you. And the fence is far enough away from it that they'd have a fair good, they'd have a fair chance of catching you before you got there. So make sure you're training as a runner before you exactly, or have a couple of people go from different parts, and then they can't catch us all. Yeah. I'm just I'm surprised there's not like a, a get, like so there's just nothing else out there. There might be a gift center somewhere around the edge of it, but I don't think this. It, it's not really everyone, is it's right in the middle of nowhere. Not everyone is America. Not everyone has decided. Yeah, to but I've been in Britain before. There's tons of gift shops and knickknacks. Yeah, oh yeah, they, and all, they love all that like the big beer. You're not wrong there. Britain shit. loves a knickknack. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Novelty pencil, we are all about it. <laughs> yeah, there's, there was tons of knickknacks. I remember I was buying some shit. Is it just like because it's in this idyllic uh, 
People don't want to be disturbed. Are there locals who live near there who don't want to encourage don't tourism? It's, it's really odd because there's not even really a town that there are towns closest to it, but it really is just it's off the A303. You're driving off the A303 oh. and just like off the side of the road, there's one of the wonders of the ancient world just kind of there, just off, <laughs> oh. just off the layby. And you can choose to either pull off or just keep driving. This is also kind of where the... I mean, there, there's a part is. of it seems it's kind of nice that it hasn't been all commercialized, I guess, you know? Yeah, it's... Because have you been to... Have you been to Niagara Falls? Yeah, I've been to Niagara Falls. Because when you're on the Canadian side, which is the more impressive side yeah. of the falls, when you... It's... If you're sort of looking... If you're looking directly at the falls, it looks beautiful. If you turn your eyes even 30 degrees <laughs> on either direction, you just see the grimmest, like... <laughs> Somewhere between Reno and Blackpool Pleasure Beach, and just it's just every it's like Ripley's Believe It or Not, and arcades and yep. fairgrounds, and it's just that's on the Canadian side, though. Yeah, yeah. I used and to it's drive like, over there because I went to college in upstate New York, and the drinking age was two years younger. Uh, in Ontario, so we'd drive over to Niagara Falls, but it is not. It's like no one thought to stop that. No, yeah. they're like, yeah, just build whatever you like right opposite <laughs> one of the greatest <laughs> natural features on the planet. Always going to be cool to have your Ripley's Museum right there. It's <laughs> just like the shittest bars and hotels. Um, By the way, I did look up how, how long uh, people have been braiding hair. Go on. What do you find? Uh, one of the earliest uh, reproductions of hair braiding may be the Venus of Willendorf from 30,000 years ago, now known in academia as the Woman of Willendorf. How many so years ago? 30,000. It's a depiction of, of that. Hmm. You've seen that figurine. or not? What a, <laughs> yeah, I guess you wouldn't call it a figurine. What do you call it? I mean, you got a figure. Oh yeah, they, the figurine. Yeah, yeah. It makes sense. People had to entertain themselves a lot more back then. Yeah, you invent braiding. You're sitting around. Oh wait, then some are disputing whether she has braids on her hair or some kind of basket on her head. God damn it! Okay, <laughs> but if they knew how to make a basket, they knew how to fucking braid hair. That's true. It's kind of because you had to. Yeah, you got to. I don't some. know. Uh, you, they might have invented weaving and then not thought to apply it to the head. But once they, you know, like, once you invent the wheel, you got, you're not like, wheel, got that. Yeah. And then you got, you you got, who had, somebody had that joke where, like, what was the thing where you pick hay? What's the thing? Like uh, a, a pitchfork? A pitchfork. Like, which one was invented for, like, a fork or a pitchfork? Uh-huh. Right? Where somebody had the pitchfork and they're like what if we made a really little one smaller than these for food and they're like whoa relax man (laughs) I love that line is it best in show one of the Christopher Guest movies when um, oh I should know the name of the actress and not just call her Stifler's mom but she says Jennifer Coolidge yeah thank god for model trains because otherwise how would they have come up with the idea for regular ones (laughs) um Hey, you know how you can buy model trains and baskets and dolls with plaited hair and novelty pencils from British gift shops? How can you do that? You could buy it with the money that has been kindly donated to Probably Science by people both going on the Patreon and becoming patrons or going to the PayPal link also on probablyscience.com. I'm going to thank the PayPal people and then we've got far too many patrons to thank entirely in this one but you're going to thank a few right and we'll do some more next episode so thank you to the paypal people 
Uh, Robert Condon, Oren Harris, Sean Gordon, Bryson Rhodes, Daniel Monson, R.L. Kappa, Pandora Young, Thomas Hatfield, Drew Chapman, Jake Swenson, William Bagley, and a one-off donation from Christopher Johnson. Thank you very much, all of you, for helping us keep this thing going. And I want to thank Linda Moulton, and I'm glad you got that uh, signed thing from the show in Australia. We missed you there, but uh, Judy Walrath, John Hood, Emma Wilton, Matthew Quick, Eric Roberts, Kazd.hu. Peter Lipchi, Daniel Gunn, Mike. Did you say Eric Roberts, like Julia Roberts' brother? I really hope. I mean, there's a picture. It Almost certainly. Like, uh, sure, it is. Uh, Mike <laughs> Saradwin, Ada Terrell, Zebulon Keen, Kyle S., Sebastian Koch, Jeff Reeder, Stu Holding, Justin Turner, Christopher Lauder, Kirsty So, Gavin Dalbroy, Jason Shoemaker, Dr. Tasty Tater. <laughs> <laughs> Ian Walker, Michael well, Terry. Well, I, I think, remember when that used to just be uh, Mr. or Ms. Tasty Tater? Yeah, uh-huh. He's finally finished Tater School. Uh, Austin Walsworth, Russell McNall, Chris Bednortz, Vikram Bott. Let me just do a couple more here. David Smith, Alexander D. Something, LAM, Stephen Edmonds, Elaine Van Bergen, and uh, Thomas Hatfield. And we'll get through a bunch more next week. Thank you, guys oh, so much. thank you all of those. If you want to help this thing keep going, uh, you can go to probablyscience.com and either go to the Patreon or uh, PayPal link. We really appreciate that. You keep us in trinkets and ability to do the show. Mm-hmm. Uh, what story you got? Should we do the happy? If I, you know what that that did that did that make you smile? It did make me smile, and then that smile made me feel kind of happy. Uh, there's a story sent in by Sean Robertson. Said more research out of my school. Uh, by the way, Chris Nelson sent in the measles story. Thanks, Chris. Yeah. Uh, he said, uh, in other news, water is wet. Which I'm going to take issue yeah, with because we've talked I about agree. this story and it's flip-flopped a bunch of times whether this is true or not. Yeah, this is a story. Researchers at Texas A&M and the University of Tennessee, I don't know which of those schools is Chris's, said that smiling really can make people happier. And here's the thing. Yeah, that was something that was thought to be the case for a long time. But then... It fell in the reproducibility scandal problems of recent years. It fell, it was debunked as I was working on a show that was also reproducing that for a television audience. It was uh, a show called um, Mindfield on YouTube Red, which I guess is now YouTube Premium, um, with Michael Stevens from Vsauce. And the show was trying to do all of these sort of famous psychology experiments, do recreations of them in visual ways to, you know, make it accessible to the masses. And we were given these directives to have experiments that were like valid, but also super interesting and counterintuitive. There's a lot of things that were sort of conflicting as far as the goals they wanted. But one of the things we did was have people hold a pencil in their mouth, either, either pinching it just between their teeth and not having the lips touch it, which they don't realize is inadvertently making them smile or having them hold it together with their lips which is inadvertently making them frown and then do a bunch of tasks that would be obviously pleasant or unpleasant like cleaning up dog shit and then interviewing them afterwards to see how they would rate the enjoyability of these tasks the theory being the people who were inadvertently were smiling even though they're cleaning up dog shit they found it more pleasurable um but then as we were shooting that this this first debunking we're gonna get to came out so then we had to do like a straight to camera thing where he says by the way this uh, might not be actual real science anymore <laughs> but that's the way science goes but now it's been re-bunked or re- un- unbunked un- undebunked uh, bunk- bunked up be-bunked yes but bunked who bunked 
So it's back. It's back. This theory. So research at uh, Matt. Sorry, did I cut you off? No. Researchers at Texas A&M and the University of Tennessee examined almost 50 years of data and found that changing your facial expression can alter the emotions you feel. Um, so the paper co-authored by researcher Heather Lynch at Texas A&M and researchers Nicholas Coles and Jeff Larson at Tennessee looked at nearly 50 years of data testing, testing whether posing facial expressions can lead people to feel the emotions related to those expressions. The findings address a critical question about the links between our internal experience and our bodies whether changing our facial expression can alter the emotions we feel and our emotional response to the world. Conventional wisdom tells us that we can feel happier if we sm simply smile or that we can get ourselves in a more serious mood if we scowl, but psychologists have disagreed about this for over 100 years. Um, yeah, and as I said, in 2016, those disagreements became more pronounced when 17 teams of researchers failed to replicate 17 that uh, experiment that we were also doing for YouTube. Oh, yeah, um, so 18. Yeah, I mean, if you want to count our sample size of, I think, eight. 17 teams of researchers plus a YouTube channel. Yeah. <laughs> Using a statistical technique called meta-analysis, the team combined data from 138 studies. I mean, it should have been 139. Testing over 11,000 <laughs> participants from all around the world. 11,018. Yeah. And according to the meta-analysis, posing facial expressions has a small impact on our feelings. For example, smiling makes people happier. Scowling makes them angrier. Um we don't think people can smile their way to happiness. Wait, you don't? That's the whole point of this? Ugh. But these findings are exciting because they can provide a clue about how the mind and body interact to shape our conscious experience of emotions, said Coles. We still have a lot to learn about these facial feedback effects, but this meta-analysis put us a little closer to understanding how emotions work. So I think this lines up with cognitive behavioral therapy, which is pretty well uh, regarded as a field, right? So they're, they're, they're saying if you smile... You're probably just putting your mind in a in a more likely to be in a positive mindset, right? I mean, I'm not sure anyone even really knows. They're just saying that counterintuitively, even if you feel like shit, if you just start smiling, it may in fact induce that emotion in you. It may make you happier. Or you're becoming more conscious of your emotions and, you know, you're building. Yeah, yeah, I'm not sure how, how it works or why it works, but like it, we also, in that same episode, uh, had people get Botox. Uh, we ran into the problems with that. We, I mean, we didn't like force anybody to, obviously. So we found people who already wanted to have Botox <laughs> and just like paid for them to have it done and then interviewed them and their families later on because there was also a study about how people with Botox are less adept at um, reading the emotions of others because part of how you interpret someone else's emotions is by mimicking the expressions you see on their face inadvertently you do the make those same expressions with your face when you're talking to them and then that makes you feel the emotion they're feeling because it's a feedback loop that goes from the action to the feeling and the theory was that people with botox because their facial muscles are paralyzed they can't they're not as expressive and they can't mimic someone else's expression back to them and therefore they'll become slightly less empathetic or able to uh, read so they interviewed the children of these people who had botox and stuff i forgot if that actually came out with any good pseudo data on our, our show or not but like it's an interesting idea that like that this thing you're doing for looks would also like hinder your emotional right. range as a human being i don't know go check out minefield on youtube maybe it's behind not behind a paywall now I don't did know. they try doing things like tying people's legs together and see if they couldn't enjoy athletics as much <laughs> <laughs> to hinder the athletic enjoyment a bit definitely 
Uh, but no, thanks for sending that in. That was again from people like not liking swimming, watching swimming on TV while you blast a hairdryer in their face. <laughs> that does make it less enjoyable. This was uh, Sean Roberson who sent that in. Thank you very much, Sean. I don't know. What do you think, Dave? Do you think forcing yourself to smile makes you happier? I mean, I you chuckle a lot. I do smile a yeah. lot. Uh, Are you happy right now? I don't know. I think it's more of like a defense mechanism than smiling. <laughs> well, people that you see you smiling, they're like, this guy's doing okay. They're not going to have a lot of questions. <laughs> you know what I mean? Just try to avoid questions. That's your goal. Well, yeah. I feel like questions are always like, ah, oh, man. Right? Sure. Yeah. Lead, lead, lead nowhere good. Well, I found, I think maybe when I was younger, my parents would ask me like about school and I didn't have a, the right answer for them. They'd be like, do you got homework? And I'd be like, no, but I did, you know. So you would smile and stop asking about your homework? Yeah. If they, if I gave the illusion that everything was going okay, then uh, Okay, so it's like cognitive behavioral therapy, but like outward facing. Like your behavior is going to change the rest of the world, how it treats you. Boy, I hope so. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> also, I think, you know, some people's lips curl up. Like at which part? At the end. I mean, I think Matt, uh, you know, right? Wait, when you smile? What, I, what's, people are more... Yeah, I think I look up, I naturally look a bit smiley. Yeah, there's like, I would say, I think I read, it's like, maybe you can look it up. It's like, maybe like 14% have like a, with the lips curl. Even if they're not trying to smile, it's yeah, they have a upturn to the edges. Most people have like a, a non... <laughs> Non-smiley, arresting bitch face, if you will. Yeah. Not to make it a gender. I think there's like a, you could, there's some sort of science behind this. Uh... Yeah, maybe. Did I just make that Should up? I... No, I, th- I think there's some, and I think it also does become a feedback thing because, um, if you're naturally smiley, you get treated like you're happy. Or by it sort of, it becomes reflective as well. It's hard to know where it's a right. bit chicken and eggy. Uh, what's the saying? Laugh and the world laughs with you, right? Right. You cry and you cry alone. Is that a, is that a thing? Did I just make up a saying? That's a saying. I right? think. Yeah, I think that's. Yeah, I've yeah. heard something approaching that before. I mean, the one thing I think about, oh, I smile, you know, sometimes I feel like people can try, they think they can hustle me or something or like, you know, yeah. con me or. I just Googled resting bitch face to see if there's any science behind well, it. Well, I didn't, I, I didn't tell you. <laughs> I know you did, but there's a Washington Post article that says it's a real thing. Um, they, they used a sophisticated tool engineered to identify specific expressions based on a catalog of more than 10,000 images of human faces. They established a baseline of genuinely expressionless faces. And they plugged in photos of uh, resting bitch face all-stars Kanye West, Kristen Stewart, and Queen Elizabeth. And suddenly the level of emotion detected by the software doubled to 6%. So I guess, yeah, resting bitch face is a thing. And it's not gendered. Kanye has it also. Uh, I've got a six six month old niece who has two facial expressions, mm-hmm. like only two facial expressions so far, and one of them is a smile that lights up the room, and the other is the most chilling scowl oh, that just cuts through you. <laughs> it's a it's a treat. Hey, Dave. Yes. We should wrap this up, but where can our listeners find you? Oh shit! The internet. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, black hole. No, uh, everything is Dave Wait comedy and that's w-a-i-t-e so that's instagram twitter facebook my website dave Waite comedy all across nice. the board 
Go check all that out. Do it. I appreciate it. Find him. Uh, hey, you can find us at Probably Science, individually at Andy T. Wood and at Matt Kirshen. Mm-hmm. You can go to probablyscience.com. That's where we have all of our back episodes and the show notes and also the donation button. Thank you very much to all those kind donors. If you're not able to donate, the other way you can help us is by spreading the word, tweeting, Facebooking, telling people on the street. Anyone who you see listening to a podcast go, well, that's not Probably Science. What are you playing at? You're getting it wrong. <laughs> so go and do that. Uh, probably science at gmail.com and Twitter slash probably science and Facebook slash probably science are the ways you can send us stories and comments, questions, clarifications, uh, articles you think we should discuss on this show. Mm-hmm. Uh, Andy, anything coming up that we should know about? Nothing for me in the near future. Sweet as. <laughs> When's this getting posted? Uh, this will be going up probably today or yeah. today or tomorrow. Yes, on the 16th or 17th. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Can I plug in the thing? Yeah, yeah, plug it. Uh, April 26th and 27th, I'll be at the Comedy Loft in Lincoln, Nebraska. Let's do it. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I forgot. I'm sorry. May 1st. I'm, there is something coming up. Yeah. Brian Cook and I do our next Guilty Treasure on May 1st. Oh, that's always a fun show. Hotel Cafe on Coenga here in Hollywood. And what uh, do you have coming up, Matt? I don't know. I've got gigs around, mostly around LA. I'm doing Santa Barbara on the 27th uh, of April, uh, which is a Saturday, a week on Saturday. And then I'm going to be doing a few things in the UK in the summer. I'm going to be at Glastonbury. Um, awesome. And then nothing... I don't know whether I should say this or not because it's not confirmed yet, but it looks very much like I might be doing some stuff in Copenhagen oh. with friend of the show Simon Talbot. He's doing a small run running in his new show, and I might be doing those gigs with him. Uh, dusting off your Niels Bohr jokes? Absolutely. Awesome. And that... And the, the what else is Denmark? Uh, Little Mermaid references. Yep, um, yep. There's a statue of that in the middle of the city. <laughs> bicycles. Why can't I think of Danish stereotypes? It's a lot of bicycle pastries. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. Legos. Uh, oh yeah. Wait, is that no, Sweden oh, or fuck. some other? No, Denmark is where they. I think make you're it. right. Okay. I think you're right. If we're wrong, write us. Write no, to us. No, no, Denmark. They're Denmark. Legos. That, sure. All right. All right, we will see you next week. Thanks again for listening. Lego Singular. Singular. Lego. <laughs> hey. Bye. Bye.